Well, hello again. Uh, Eric Oldfather here along with Taylor Worley. Uh, we're filming or we're recording our second podcast in our technology, media, and faith um, podcast series. Um, so we're so grateful to be here. Uh, we'll, uh, Taylor, last time we were recording, I, I realized that we're both from the South. So we're, we're a little long-winded and, and drawn out. So we're going to try to be a little quicker this time around. Um, but we're excited to be here. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Taylor. He's going to give a little bit of a recap, but I just wanted to say one thing. I'm, I'm thankful for this framework that Taylor is bringing to us. Uh, as we think about technology and media and the way that we use it, oftentimes it, it, uh, it can be a distraction as well, a distraction from God, a distraction from others. And so one of the ways that we're thinking about this is how do we grow in our attentiveness? And, and the phrase or the, the, the statement that we're using is this attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. This idea that we actually have something to give people. And so I'll hand it off to you, Taylor, just to kind of recap. But Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be back. Uh, thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, it's fun to it's fun to do. So week two, we're going to talk about Jesus's redemptive attention. So how does Jesus model for us what it looks like to be um, attending to others for the sake of their redemption? Uh, last week, week one, we talked about um, attentiveness in general. And yeah, the quotation that, that Eric just read does sort of frame our thinking about this topic of relating to technology, media, and our faith, bringing those three together, uh, recognizing that um, our attention is a rare commodity and we should steward it for the sake of generosity. So we uh, last week talked about and, and looked at uh, the ways in which um, Christians aren't the only people that are concerned about our ability to uh, be attentive um, and um, community kind of focused people, right? So even even sort of the, the technology leaders from Silicon Valley are worried about this for themselves and their own families. So it's, so it's right and good for us to be concerned about it too. When we look at uh, the picture that we see in the, in the scriptures, uh, we, we noticed two things, uh, and Eric and I were really keen to sort of bring these to the surface. One, that God is a God of attentiveness and that he sees us and he's concerned about us. The beginning of the story of Scripture from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we see God display his, his powerful saving attention in our lives. So when his people cried out um, for deliverance in the Exodus, he heard their cries, right? Yes, yeah, and he absolutely. responded, um, and he actually, what we saw last week, empowers us by the work of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be people who attend to others and minister His love. And so that was the picture that we looked at in the the letter of First John, right? That uh, if we have experienced God's love, we're going to be those who give give it away. We're going to be those that share it with our brothers and sisters, especially, but a hurting world as well. And sometimes we think about that in terms of giving of our resources or, uh, or helping somebody. Those are like loving things. Mm -hmm. But another way that we show love is by actually listening to people and being attentive to those around us. Um, and you know, both Taylor and I would tell you, um, we're still learning how to do that. We're learning how to listen to our wives, listen you to listen to your children. Mm -hmm. I, as a youth pastor, I'm trying to grow in, in how I listen to uh, you youth. Um, so I'm, I'm just thankful to spend time reading and talking with you about this as we dive into it. So Taylor, why don't we get started? So this week we want to look at the example of Jesus like you mentioned. So where should we start? How are we going to start this? Yeah, I, the the only appropriate place to start is with Harry Potter. Okay. Right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a good place. No, that's, a, that's a joke, kids. I think it's semi uh, uh, semi scripture, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, for some it's people, close. it's, it's close. really close for some people. Yeah. Um, and 
Nyla Lewis, I would say it's very close yes, for her. Very close. For Elizabeth Worley, it's very close for her too. No, um, I want to start with an illustration from uh, the Harry Potter series. So you may remember, this is from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. This is just a little section I want to read that will, I think, help get a, get our thinking started on the topic of today. I want to look at something very specific um, from the from the life of Jesus. But here in uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, we have this one little encounter, and I want to share it with you. I'm going to read it, and then we can think about it together. So J.K. Rowling writes, The Prime Minister's first foolish thought was that Rufus Scrimgore looked rather like an old lion. There were streaks of gray in his mane of tawny hair and his bushy eyebrows. He had keen, yellowish eyes behind a pair of wire-rimmed spectacles and a certain rangy, loping grace, even though he walked with a slight limp. There was an immediate impression of shrewdness and toughness. Okay, so that's that's one little moment from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and you might be thinking, well, why in the world is this like, why in the world is he bringing that up? Why, why are we starting here? What's what's interesting about that encounter is that Rufus Scrimgore is compared there in thinking of the prime minister to a regal lion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that, um, you Images know, that, of courage or, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that practice of like taking someone's appearance and discerning, you know, that they look, you know, rather, you know, they have like a regal nose or, you know, they have, um, you know, uh, a bookish or kind of, an, um, uh, kind of appearance. You yes. know, they look, you know, yeah. they look smart, or you know, maybe they wear glasses. Okay, they must be. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> that kind of practice of. I mean, you look like a professor. Yeah, in some ways. I know. Yeah. I, I kind yeah, of own pro- it, right? Pro- you know, professor, look. I kind of I've moved into that. Yeah, um, so it's something that that we see in literature. It's something we see in in all sorts of all sorts of stories, but it's something that we experience in everyday life all the time. I want us to think about that, like that practice of taking someone's appearance and maybe discerning something about their person, their mm-hmm. character, who they really are. And I want to ask, I want to bring that up because I think it'd be helpful for us to reflect on the fact that there might be some negative effects of describing people mm-hmm. in this way. I think it's helpful to think about that. Right. So even though you're a professor, you may look like one that doesn't mm-hmm. define you completely. Right, Taylor? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Taylor, that's really helpful. Um, but how is this going to help us appreciate uh, the attention that Jesus gives to others? Yeah. Well, this uh, this whole idea of judging a book by its cover, you know, that's the, that's the polite or nice way to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we could think of, of less polite and not so nice ways, right? That yeah. Where people are judged based on their... Appearance. Based on their appearance or based based on their physical characteristics, yes. right? I mean, we could even think here of racial profiling, yes. right? So, so people um, sometimes experience um, others, you know, passing judgment or discriminating or like summing them up just like that based on the color of their skin or the appearance of their clothing or whatever, right? Yeah. So those those kinds of everyday examples are actually something that um, the Bible, the text in the New Testament itself, takes for granted. So okay. that practice of the body revealing something about the soul was actually a, something that was taken for granted in the ancient world. Hmm. So I mean, just to illustrate that, if you remember um, in John chapter 9, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus yes. and they pass by this guy. He's a beggar and he's born, he was born blind. And the first question that the disciples ask Jesus, because they've got Jesus with him, right? So yeah. he can explain things. Yes. So the first question they ask him is, well, who sinned? Whose fault mm-hmm. is this? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Right? Yeah. Because the guy's blind. I mean, he has this like, really terrible physical ailment that he can't see not only that but he's had it since day one exactly exactly so the disciples immediately think 
somebody's to blame. Somebody's at fault. Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Mm -hmm. And Jesus shocks everybody because he says, neither. Mm -hmm. Okay. He kind of, he puts a stop to that and says that kind of, you know, in effect, he's saying that kind of thinking is not helpful. Actually, God's going to use it for his own glory. Now, that's just a quick illustration of a kind of assumption about people that was very common in the time of the New Testament. So what I want to like focus on, and I think it'll be helpful for our time, is thinking about the practice in the Greco-Roman world. So in the so in the in the New Testament world, the practice of what's called physiognomy. Have you heard of that before? Uh, not quite. You're okay. Have to explain no, it a that's bit, that's Taylor. totally fair. Physiognomy, physiognomy. That's an interesting term. So let me define it. So physiognomy would be akin to misogyny. So misogyny is the hatred or the discrimination against women, right? Okay. Misogyny. Physiognomy would be similar. So it's a kind of discrimination or hatred of the body, the physique, okay. right? Someone's physical person. Yeah. So that's what the term physiognomy means. Discrimination based on someone's appearance. Okay. So in the so in the ancient Greco-Roman world, because you gotta remember, and 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 you'll know what I'm talking about here, Eric. Like when you think about like Greco-Roman culture. These are the people that built the Parthenon. These are the people that, you know, built those amazing sculptures yes. of, of perfect, you know, the, you can think of the spear thrower or any of the like perfect, you know, physical. These are the people that invented the Olympics. Yes. You know, like, yeah. The, they're, they're interested in the, in, the, in the beautiful, like perfect, almost too perfect physical form of the human being. Yes. Right. They're obsessed. You know, we think of our time with Photoshop and, you know, like <clears throat> constantly, you know, curating our appearance as an, as an image obsessed age. Well, the truth is the Greco Roman world was a pretty image obsessed age yeah. as well. Um, so this, this practice of physiognomy actually played itself out in the development of handbooks. Hmm. So you had like, you actually had handbooks that were written uh, so that people could discern what the particular physical traits of a person meant about their actual moral character. Mm, a so, whole handbook. A whole, yeah, hand, multiple handbooks. Were, oh my they, these things like kind of circulated in the in the ancient world, and you know it'd be very it, it'd be very arbitrary, specific things like you know. Someone had a big nose or a little nose. Someone had big ears or small ears, right? Someone had a long face or, you know, kind of a round face or someone's eyes were too far apart, too close together. All sorts of stuff like that. I mean, those that's just specific physical features of the face, but it's extended to the whole body. Mm-hmm. So each one of those implied a character trait about the person that they couldn't change, mm-hmm. right? So... <clears throat> They're, and they're, they're sometimes they're really wacky, but can you imagine like living in a world in which uh, all these physical traits about a person would be connected to a moral characteristic or a moral quality that you were just born with? Yeah. Right. That's yeah. It's it's and it sounds like you couldn't get rid of that reputation because mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. your trait that you had. Mm-hmm. You can't change the distance between your eyes no, or you can't no. change the size of your nose. No. I mean, maybe today no. you can. Well, yeah, we have plastic but, surgery but they, today. So. But back in that day, especially, yeah. people couldn't do that. Yeah, and so it sounds so weird and so foreign and so ancient. Yes. But, I mean, you're, you're causing me to think, like, we are constantly working on our appearance. Yes. Why do we do that? Why right? do we do that? There, it might not just, it might be, you know, there, there might be some deeper reasons. Like we, we, you know, we want to look a certain way so that we want to look like somebody else mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. or there's images that our society has said that are beautiful and we want to look like mm-hmm. that ourselves. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, how did Jesus respond to this practice? Mm, mm. Do you have any specific examples? Eric, I'm so glad you asked. This? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. I do. I do. So we we really find this practice of physiognomy um, 
bearing on our reading of Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. So we know, so, so just to, just to recall that the, that our four gospels often had a specific audience in mind that when the gospel writer was putting them together and Luke's gospel, he very much has in mind a Gentile audience, a Greco Roman audience. So he's, he's telling the story of Jesus but with that Gentile audience in mind. So when he records, just like Matthew and Mark do, um, important instances in Jesus's healing ministry, he wants to emphasize parts of it that will get the attention of his readers. Mm. So for so Luke is really concerned to show Jesus as not just someone that cares about people's spiritual problems or people's spiritual issues, but also the physical ailments, the physical problems that they experience. So he, um, Luke is really concerned to show that Jesus is concerned about the whole person. Okay. So I, I'm going to give you two quick examples. One is very well known and one's less known. So let's start with a less known example. So here's example number one. This is Jesus's healing of the bent woman from Luke 13. So I'll read the, I'll read the passage. Um, Luke writes, Beginning in verse 10, Luke 13, beginning in verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Mm. Mm. Okay, now this is an interesting encounter. I mean, it's just a little part of Luke 13, but with our kind of fresh perspective on how people's appearance mattered in the, in their community, we can see a lot more going on here. So here's a couple of things I find really interesting about this story. Unlike in a lot of other healing encounters, she is not brought to Jesus. Mm. You know, her friends don't, you know, make a plan and bring her to Jesus. She doesn't come running to Jesus. Actually, it's the opposite. Jesus is the one who spots her. So if you can imagine the synagogue in that day, she's probably hanging out in a dark corner of the room, Mm. right? She's probably in the back, doesn't want to be noticed, doesn't want to be seen. The disability section. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because she's she's kind of carrying the stigma of her disability, right? But here's what's crazy. She's still there. Mm. It would be so much easier for her to not be there. So Jesus notices her. He sees her. And he recognizes that even in her condition, that her willingness to show up is showing her faith. Right? Mm. She, still, she still wants to be there. And in the, she's almost there in defiance of the shame. Wow. And we're talking about like a condition that she had for 18 years. Yeah. And she just, she's been faithful, we assume, in all that time. So not only does Jesus notice her, but he goes even further, right? Yes. Not only he calls her out and then he touches her. Wow. He puts his hands on her. He heals her, right? <clears throat> and this is a way of Jesus honoring her, acknowledging her, kind of, uh, in, you know, receiving her. Saying like you're not invisible to God's love, like yeah. you have you haven't been missed all this time. Yeah. No, you we we know. And one of the ways he really emphasizes that is by calling her a daughter of Abraham. Oh man. Yeah. Now now we might read that and we might think, oh okay, well then you know he's 
you know, he's in a Jewish context. Of course, he's going to say daughter of Abraham, but not. You got to think about the fact that that notion of who are the rightful heirs of Abraham came up over and over again in Jesus's ministry. Yeah. So when his opponents were pushing back on him, you know, they <clears throat> and they asking, would say that they were the heirs of Abraham. Exactly. That's something yeah. they boasted about, right? So if she's done something wrong or if her family's done something wrong and that's why she's experiencing this disability, mm -hmm. ooh, that, that definitely moves her out of the category of rightful heir mm -hmm. of those ancient promises given to Abraham, right? So it's, she's no longer a part of it then yeah, because yeah. of this ailment. Yeah. yeah. She might be ethnically part of the Jewish people, but because of her ailment, now she doesn't meet the moral threshold, okay. right? Now she doesn't meet, she doesn't measure up in terms of her character, right? Okay. Because obviously if this bad thing has happened to her, she has this disability, she's, you know, everyone she's would hiding assume something. she's hiding something. She's hiding she's something. herself, right? Yeah. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't blame her. He blames Satan. Mm -hmm. And he says explicitly, Satan bound her for 18 years. So yeah. he's clarifying for everybody in the room. Stop punishing this woman. It's not her fault, right? Yeah. Satan has oppressed her in this way, right? So Jesus is making sure that justice is done. And what happens? When justice is done, when she glorifies God, when she's healed, everybody rejoices. Wow. And now this whole system of, you know, that, that the religious authorities of the time were relying on, right? Because all they, the only power they had was to enforce law-keeping, yeah. And then force their version of morality. And if you can, you know, if you can make people feel bad about their physical ailments or the fact that they, you know, like they had these physical problems. <clears throat> and because they had those physical problems, they weren't living up to the standard exactly. or they were hiding something. Exactly. And so they were being pushed off to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, and Probably yet, the case they didn't even want her to come. And yet we see Jesus sees this person <coughs> at the side yep. and says, no, 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 you're actually a part of my people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's great. It's beautiful. It. It's yeah, beautiful. It is. So Jesus is, you know, in the room, who does Jesus notice? Mm. He notices the person who needs attention, mm. who can benefit the most from his saving attention his healing attention yeah i mean it's just it's wild so to have this extra layer is just i think really helpful That's okay we want to do one more example just so you know i'm not making it up and i'm gonna let you read this passage all right it's a familiar one uh luke 19 uh verse 1 through 10 uh, it's the passage about uh zacchaeus so we're all very familiar with this one he entered jericho that is jesus entered jericho and was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Mm. Mm -hmm. So very familiar passage. Yeah. But just based on what we read in, from Luke 13, we're already tipped off to some interesting things. Yeah. Right. You, you, you guys heard it. In the same way that Jesus called the bent woman a daughter of Abraham, mm. here he calls Zacchaeus a son uh, yeah. of Abraham, right? So there's a theme to what Jesus is doing. He's saying those people on the outside are actually, because of their faith, on the, on the inside. Okay, but let's back up. So there's a lot happening in this passage. 
Luke is in a, in a way kind of Luke is, is going along with what his readers would assume. So as he kind of tells us things about Zacchaeus, as he kind of unpacks who this person is, right. For this interesting story, it's almost as if he, you know, with each layer, he's, it gets, uh, it gets increasingly worse. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, so which is you know, bad. Yeah. Which is already pretty <laughs> bad. Right. And implies that he's corrupt. Yes. Um, Luke tells us that he's actually done pretty well for himself because he's not only is he a tax collector, i.e. corrupt, you know, this, you know, he's this, good at being this parasite on the society. Yeah. yeah. He's really good at it. He's got it. He's talented. He's yeah. got a knack for it. So he's, so he's rich. Yes. He's greedy. You know, the, you know, the rich are not, um, don't, um, don't have a great reputation in Luke's gospel. We'll, we'll table that for now. So Zacchaeus is corrupt. He's rich. He's greedy. But then what, what is, what else does Luke reveal to us that he's mm-hmm. small in stature, right? So he's, so he's experiencing a condition of dwarfism is what's likely is that that's how we've always interpreted mm-hmm. this story about this story about Zacchaeus. But then we, we get even more details. Zacchaeus, um, it was, it was not very, like, it, it was not very proper or appropriate for a grown man to climb a tree. That's so, what kids would do. That's what kids would that's do, right? That's what kids do. So, they climb trees. so anyone who, yeah. anyone who would climb a tree just to see Jesus for whatever reason would be seen as like, Oh, that's, you know, that's, inappropriate that's uh, that's not proper you know that he would be looked down on right yeah so what what luke is is showing us is like okay he has this terrible social standing right he had he has he's he's a he's a small man he's a dwarf so he's already looked down on by society and lastly he's he's kind of shameless like he doesn't care anymore he's been you know he treats people badly he's been treated badly yeah. And he's just sort of caught up in it, right? So his curiosity about Jesus is is probably embarrassing, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, like the people that would have been there while, you know, the, the crowds that Zacchaeus is trying to look over, you know, would be embarrassed by his actions. They mm-hmm. would they'd be, you know, they'd be embarrassed that he was even there, you know. Um, but then his efforts to climb the tree, you know, it's like, oh, gosh. So it's 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 really an awkward moment in the text. So as a town, he would have been somebody that they would have been, been embarrassed by. Then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That like this new visitor, this Jesus is coming <coughs> to town. Like let's let's hide Zacchaeus. Like, oh, they would totally hide Zacchaeus if yeah. they could, right? But the, the problem is he's the tax collector, so he's 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 got people where he wants them. Yes, you know, they have to tolerate him. Yes. So, so it's just it's just a bad situation all. All, all the way around. Yeah. So what does Jesus do? <laughs> I mean, it's almost comical. He yeah. he presses into the awkwardness. So when no, you know, when everybody's hoping and praying, like that Jesus will not notice the the small man in the tree. That's exactly where Jesus goes, right? Yeah. And just like with the bent woman in in, in um, Luke thirteen. Jesus goes over and invites himself mm. to Zacchaeus's house. Right? Yeah. So before Zacchaeus, I mean, it's probably not even in his mind to think, well, I should invite this, you know, this Jesus rabbi guy to my house. Jesus invites himself. Yeah. Right. So. Um, Which actually, if I may yeah, interject yeah, sure, here, sure, Taylor, yeah. yeah, I would kind of be curious if, if Zacchaeus was such an outsider would anybody have actually wanted to go to his house? Would mm. people in the town mm. have mm. wanted to go to his house? And yeah. I would kind of be interested. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. I think yeah. Zacchaeus would have been somebody they would have avoided. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. So you're right. I mean, when it says in the text that, you know, the, the people were grumbling. Yes. Right. They're grumbling. They're like, Oh, he's going to eat with the sinner because going and eating the, the yes. giving and receiving of hospitality was a huge social symbol in the time yes. of like acceptance of acknowledgement of solidarity, all sorts of stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So for Jesus to show up at this guy's house and receive his hospitality, let alone invite himself for goodness sakes is, is just showing an intimacy, a concern and attention for this guy yeah. 
that everybody wanted to avoid, that everybody wanted to forget about, that everybody wanted to exclude, right? So how does Zacchaeus respond? That's what's so beautiful about this story. Zacchaeus, this stingy, corrupt, greedy tax collector who, you know, I mean, what are people saying about him? Well, they're saying like, He's, he's a small man. Of course he's like that. Mm. Of course there's something wrong with his character. Of course he's going to you know take up this profession. Yeah. Of course he's going to treat people like that. That's just how he is. Right? Yeah. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, no, no. I like I say, I, re- I refuse to accept that that's how he is. Yeah. Right? So There's something more to Zacchaeus. Exactly. Exactly. And we see it because this stingy guy turns out to be a man of great generosity. Mm. And he says... You know, after he's received Jesus's generous attention, yes, he says, "Well, I'm going to pay back." What does he say? Four times, you know, what I've taken, and right? he's probably already taken a lot to begin yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. So he's like basically committing himself to a life of philanthropy, of charitable giving, wow. of taking care of people for years at this point, yes. right? I mean, so. Yeah, it's just, it's so dramatic. And then Jesus caps it off by saying, no, you're not on the margins. No, you're not excluded from the family of God. You're a son of Abraham. Mm. So despite your your physical disability, you you have a place. You have a seat at the table. You're included in the family of God. So, um so much to chew on here, right? Yeah. And and those are very specific examples. And you guys are thinking, wow, this is there's some real intricacy and nuance and complexity to the New Testament. That's a good thing. That's yes. why it's worth our time to study it carefully. Yeah. But if we try and, and try and zoom out, um, how how is all this hitting you, Eric? Like, I mean, you're hearing some of this, yeah. fresh freshly. Where 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 does it where does your mind go? Yeah. And then I, I guess a couple things. One, it's just amazing the the detail that we find in some of these passages. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Luke is writing to a particular audience. And so there's there's a level the details that are making it in, the dis the um the bent woman and her mm-hmm. ailment, Zacchaeus mm-hmm. and his stature, mm-hmm. those are significant. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why God actually put them in there. Yeah. It's to give us light to what mm-hmm. is going on socially around. It's to mm-hmm. to amplify the reasons for why Jesus is actually there doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that strikes me is is Jesus, um, obviously, but what how Jesus he first sees, mm. Jesus sees people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. He saw the woman and he saw her disability. For Zacchaeus, he saw Zacchaeus, somebody who that town would have been embarrassed by. Mm. Somebody, the woman who with a disabled um, spirit, the synagogue would have been embarrassed by. Mm. And yet Jesus sees them and mm. receives them. Mm. So that, that just really stands out to me. Mm. Um yeah, and then just again, I you made this connection. I didn't even I didn't even notice it, but the fact that, I, and again, just knowing this context a little bit, the fact that Jesus calls the woman a daughter of Abraham, mm-hmm. the fact that he calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham, that is so powerful. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. It, it, it's basically saying you are a part of God's family yeah. when they say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and for the for Zacchaeus, for this bent woman, they they may have gone years thinking that they were not a part of his family, mm-hmm. and yet Jesus in this moment is saying, "No, no, no! Actually, you are a part mm-hmm. of it." I mean, how powerful is yeah, that? Yeah, um, I just had one thought as you you were taking us through Luke. There was one story that I, I love um, uh, deeply. And again, it, Jesus talks about, um, we, we see Jesus's attention in the story. And it, do you, is it okay if I read Yeah, it? yeah, please. Yeah, so it, it comes from Luke 7, and um, uh, I'll just read a few verses. Jesus comes across this widow, and she has just lost her son. And in this day and age, mm. Taylor, you know this, if a widow lost a son and this was her only son and mm. she didn't, and she's a widow and doesn't mm. have a husband, what does that mean for the widow? Mm. Yeah, that puts her in a very economic 
and socially yeah. vulnerable position. Yeah. yeah, she's in many ways she's lost everything. Not just the yeah. love of a son, but she's lost so much security for her life. Mm. And I, I just love how uh, Jesus sees her in this moment. It says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and the great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up to and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. He said to the young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. You know, I, growing up, when I, I read through the Gospels, oftentimes I saw a lot of Jesus's miracles and it reminds us of that he's God, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think in this encounter, the, the miracle is actually not what's at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. It's actually Jesus seeing the widow. Mm. Jesus saw the widow. She saw his her grief. She saw her pain. And what, she, what this meant for her now, this new reality, that she no longer had a son, no longer had security. And Jesus addresses her loss just as much as the man who lost his life. Mm. At the end of the passage, it says that Jesus gave the son back to the woman. It's like his gaze was completely on the woman all that time. Even though he healed the man, even though the crowd was around, his attention was upon her the whole time. His actions and how he spoke and how he acted was looking directly at her. Mm. And uh, again, that just, it it's, doesn't quite connect into like the body characteristics, but mm -hmm. it's just a, another reminder of when we read through these gospels, we see a God who sees us, mm -hmm. who looks at us, mm -hmm. who not only looks at what's on the outside, but on the inside, a God who doesn't even not only notice the initial loss and the grief, but knows the ramifications that that has in our lives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, that was yeah, one really reflection helpful. I had. That's great. I mean, we've got, so I'm throwing these very specific examples at you yeah. that are really rooted in, in Luke's, you know, rhetorical goals for his gospel, but that's a great example. And we can zoom out and look at the whole of Jesus's ministry yes. and see if he is, this attentive in these really extreme examples of the bent woman and Zacchaeus, then he's going to have, you know, a kind of general attention and a kind of compassion for people all over the place. Right? Yeah. So if he's can, if he can do it in these really extreme ways, it's something he's doing all the time. All the time. It's yeah. like, that's who he was. Yeah, totally. And that's why I, I love what you just said. And I think that's, if students don't hear anything else on our podcast today, they need to hear this, that Jesus sees them, that Jesus, that Jesus sees <clears throat> and cares deeply yeah. about them for who, for who you really are. Yes. Including the things about yourself that you might want to change yeah. the things that you don't like about yourself. Those do not get in the way of Jesus seeing you and caring for you deeply and mm. loving you mm. as you are. Absolutely. Right. Amen, Taylor. Amen. Mm. Thank you. Mm. I think, I mean, the other uh, like point of application I'd want to make is like after that's kind of sunk in, I think it, I think it allows us to acknowledge some tough things. Uh, yeah. The first of which being that um, we've got to recognize that a lot of our problems with other people really stem from the fact that we don't see them yeah. as Jesus sees them. Yeah. Right. And we've got to acknowledge, I think, secondly, that that we don't often have it within us, like everything that we need uh, to notice what are the true needs of those around us. Yeah. Right. And often we don't have it within us to respond to those needs with grace, even when we do see them. Yeah. So we all need the gospel. Lastly, we all need the gospel. And, and apart from the gospel of God's grace, we can't know or see how much God delights in us 
or in the people around us that we would easily dismiss or yeah. ignore or or put to the side, yeah. right? And I think with this kind of appreciation, we can see throughout the New Testament in Jesus's words time and time again, how how much he cares for the for the least, the lost, the left out, yes. right? And see that he actually desires for us. He kind of expects us. I mean, yeah. when he tells us things like, you know, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, so that you'll be blessed, so mm. that you'll be happy, so that you'll be full of joy, yeah. right? He's telling us that for a reason, yeah. because he expects us to use our attention on on those around us that would benefit from it the most, right? Yeah. Um, which is a tough call, but by his grace and in the power of his spirit, he'll enable us to do it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm yeah, encouraged. absolutely. Um, so Taylor, as really thank you first and foremost for mm. bringing this to our attention. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful for it. And as we think about the person of Jesus and him drawing near to us and being attentive to us, and what does that mean and how we flow out of it? And one of the questions that we wanted to talk about, so we're going to just do one question today, um, uh, kind of relates mm -hmm. to what you talked about with yeah. the, the, the physical appearance uh -huh. and people uh -huh. being judged by their physical appearance. So this was the question that we got from one of the students. It says, where is the line between the art and morals of social media profiles? Uh, should it be pretty? What are the levels of appropriateness or inappropriateness? Um, so, Taylor, what what are you thinking when you hear that? What yeah. uh, and and where do you are, are there lines? How should we think about these yeah. things? Yeah, that's such a good question. I don't know who wrote it, but that's such a good question. And you're helping us get out of uh, the first the first century Greco Roman yes. context and, and bring it into, into the our 21st context. century. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is the line between the artistry of social media and then on the other hand the morality of social media like yeah. what's you know where does pretty or beautiful or you know a, you know um i guess nice. the content that <coughs> exactly. is put on exactly. social media yeah. yeah well i think um i think it's actually a good question to ask in light of what we've been talking about yeah because in the same way that in the first century this like really unjust, you know, nasty practice of discriminating about people based on their appearance was a way to, um, yeah, was a way to kind of forget that people had a soul. Yes. Right. And that seems like very far away and very ancient, but I think actually the practice of social media, like how we use social media sometimes can kind of do the same thing. Mm. Like we can kind of lose sight of the connection between um, the dignity of a person, their physical appearance, and the dignity of their soul. Right? And we kind of we, we we can sometimes lose that connection. Yeah. With social media, so I want to like try and answer this question from two different perspectives. First of all, from the perspective of someone who is using social media, or someone who's um, you know scrolling through Instagram or you Which know, is how most of us. Yeah, use exactly, it. exactly. I'm not, you know, I'm not often uh, posting pictures of myself on no. social media, but I do, you know, I do see a lot of people um, that that post pictures of themselves. So the first, so from the perspective of the consumer or the person or the user of social media, I think the first thing is we that we've got to do is we've got to remember that every person we see on our little screens or on our big screens. Um, is a person made by God mm. and endowed with an eternal soul. Yeah. You know, not, not to go back to what we talked about C from C.S. Lewis last time, but you know, this is an, a, this is a creature of eternal glory and beauty or a creature of, you know, nightmarish you know, kind of stuff, right? Yeah. The, what Lewis was talking about that we read from last week. So the, so the first and foremost thing I think we can do as users is remind ourselves that when I'm looking at a when I'm looking at a person on social media, that's a person with a soul, mm. right? Mm. And so how I perceive or how I engage with that image 
needs to maintain that. Right. Yeah. And so if, if, um, if the way that person is dressed or the way that person is posed or the way in, or just anything about the photo or the image that's conveyed uh, prevents me from kind of thinking of them as a whole person, a body and a soul, then I need to get away from it. Yeah. I need to put that image away. Yeah. That's that um, I need to know my own boundaries and recognize that that's not something I should be looking at. Yeah. So relatedly, on the other hand, as someone who might post pictures of myself, you know, whether that's, um, you know, in a parka or in a, in a swimsuit, yeah. right? you know, I need to, I need to think about the fact that I'm a person, a whole person, not just a body. Right. Mm. And I think often the best way to maintain that balance is to only post images of myself with a concern for modesty where I've been modest about the appearance. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, now that can, <clears throat> you know, people have kind of different expectations or different thresholds for what modesty is, but just as a responsible user uh, on, on the posting side of it, we've got to think about not what, what would anyone or everyone say about this, but in terms of, do I feel comfortable with this? You know, maybe a simple test would be, you know, would my grandma let me post this? Yeah. You know, like, what, or, would, or would I, uh, yeah, would I want my grandmother to see this? Or yeah, you like know, that? yeah, that's like, good. You know, would, yeah. you know, is this something I can feel good about years and years and years from now? Yeah. Right. Um, and it, not not because we're policing, you know, people's clothing or people's, you know, um, you know, look or whatever, but because we want to. We, you know, if we're going to use these technologies, we want to do it in a way that's fully human, yes. as fully human as possible. Yeah. And we have to remember because so much of our image obsessed culture wants to separate yes. the body from the soul. Yes. Right. And wants us to forget that, you know, that these people that might be attractive or, you know, appealing to the eye are actually people endowed with the soul and made by God. And, and, um, not just objects of our, you know, of our looking, yeah. if I can say it. And not to be consumed <coughs> just for our soul pleasure either. Mm, exactly. Like there's something deeper yeah, um, that totally. connects us to humans. Totally. And, you know, I, I think that the, one of the dangers with technology and social media and just pictures that just come from a distance mm -hmm. is um, it, it does create a disconnect. Yeah. There's yeah. a disconnect. You don't, you don't see the person as a whole. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't actually know their story. You don't know, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know some deeper. You things only about see what them. they show you. You yeah. only see what they show you. And if we're going first, like you said, Taylor, we, we have to un understand that that is a person on the mm -hmm. other side of that screen. Mm -hmm. Yes. They're not in the room with me, but that is a person yep. who's posting this. Um, and so there's a, there's an element where we have to make decisions and how we consume images and put social media as we engage with these things. Yeah. And I, I love your, your, your perspective because one, what it does is it, it calls us into account mm, to be accountable yeah. of how we view others. But then it also is calling us to, to be mindful of how we put ourselves out there also. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how we should want people to see our whole person yeah. and not just one part of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's good. So. That's good. That's a tough question. It is a tough and one. And feel free to feel free to send us questions that, that, that this conversation might have even sparked. Like, yeah. What, or, what, what are we not seeing? What are we not speaking to? Yeah. So, and then if like there's that. even disagreement or just like, uh, I don't know if you really heard my question, mm -hmm. we would love to um, mm -hmm. wrestle with that. And yeah. so please send us your thoughts. Um, Definitely. So, so we're going to end our podcast here today um, with, in terms of our content. Um, so my, my plan is, our plan is, uh, our next podcast is going to be more uh, questions that you guys brought to us, and we're going to address those questions. You also, some of you brought up concerns, and so we're going to try to um, form those concerns into some things that we can talk about in an organized way. Um, also, we just, we want to invite you, if you have more questions as you've been listening, 
please email me. You guys, I believe most of you have my email. Um, or you can reach out to Mr. Taylor uh, Worley, uh, and we would love to hear your questions or your concerns uh, as this podcast has been going on. Um, so lastly, I want to I want to leave a challenge for you guys this week. We've been trying to leave some challenges. Um, so so two things in light of our conversation, in light of the things that we've been talking about, is one um, every time. It doesn't have to be in the morning, but at least once during the day, whether or not it's going to sleep in the morning, in the middle of the day, um, ask God to help you see others as he sees them. Again, like Mr. Taylor Worley said, we aren't actually able to see people the way that God does fully, fully the way that even Jesus is, but we're called to follow Jesus in these mm -hmm. things. And, and so part of what we're doing and wanting to cultivate is that God would call us to see others as he sees them. And then lastly, this is a little bit more intentional, create a, a, an intentional effort to check in with a family member or a friend or even a fellow student in the youth group and, and see how they're doing, you know, especially in light of the time that we're in right now, Taylor, where we're all kind of separated from one another. Mm. Um, this would be an intentional way of checking in with each other, of kind of practicing this intentionality, this this of attention, of, of being reminded that we're not the center of the world, uh, that there are other people who are made in God's image, made in his glory. Uh, and so we want to share our attention with them, just as God has shared his with us. So those are our two, our two challenges, praying that God would help us see others as he sees them, and taking some time this week uh, to check in with someone around you, whether or not it's that family member who you've been in the house with for the last three weeks now, or whether or not it's a friend who you haven't heard from in a little while. Um, Taylor, why don't I, uh, why don't I close us in prayer Sounds and uh, we'll end the podcast. Gracious father, we thank you uh, for this study. Lord, we thank you for your word, for Luke, um, for this gospel and for these various accounts Lord, we're thankful that when you see us, when you see all of us, our brokenness, our, our physical brokenness, our emotional and our, our mental brokenness, our spiritual brokenness, that you see us and that you know us and that you love us. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, I pray that as we think about the way that we use social media, as we think about technology, as we think about these things more deeply, we would be reminded that you see us and that you're teaching us to see others the way that you see us and the way that you see others. And Lord, I, I pray for these students this week. I, I know that some of them are tired. Some of them are bored. Some of them are just worn down by what they're seeing in the world around them. Lord, I pray that your, your spirit of peace would be with them this week. Um, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Have a great one.